Amen. John chapter 3 in your Bibles this morning. John chapter 3. I love how God puts everything perfectly in order, uh, in place during His timing. And uh, as your pastor, I strive to follow His leadership in all things, especially the preaching of His Word. And uh, months ago, when the Lord put the book of John on my heart, little did I know that I would be preaching this specific passage on this specific Sunday. Uh, When you're following the Lord, you're preaching line upon line, precept upon precept from the entire Word of God. The Lord places things right at the right time. And John 3.16, as was read already this morning by Mr. Milligan, is where we'll be here this morning. And I believe it's the exact need of the hour. God tried to wake up our country 20 years ago with an event called 9-11. And uh, I, think, I think he succeeded in, in a lot of people's hearts. A lot of people came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior 20 years ago. And God is trying to do the same today. And we need to allow him to. We need to allow, allow God to do that. It's my deepest heart cry that this church and that this community wakes out of a religious sleep that we're in and comes back to the Lord. And that could be even you this morning, that the danger about being religiously or or spiritually asleep is you don't know that you're asleep until the Lord shines the light and you realize it. And we need the Lord to do that in our midst here this morning. Nicodemus, as we saw last week, was one who had been lulled to sleep by religious tradition. Uh, He came to Jesus by night, and uh, he he had seen the miracles already of the Son of God, and that had woken him up to his curiosity to come to Jesus. And uh, he came, and Jesus met his curiosity with an answer. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man experience new life. Except he, he, a woman or a man, experienced the spiritual birth altogether, new life uh, into God's family, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's read now, let's look at the conclusion of what Jesus had to say here in some of the most familiar verses here in Scripture. Let's start in verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that means open, and that they they are wrought in God. In these few verses, Jesus we see Jesus' declaration of what the gospel plan would be uh, from God the Father himself, a way that God would demonstrate his love toward us. 
Mr. Milligan read that verse as well this morning, Romans 5.8. But God commendeth, means he demonstrated, his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was a price that was paid. You know, there are many ways that we today demonstrate our love to one another. Um, some ways that, uh, some ways that, that cost us a great deal by maybe buying something for one another. Uh, any married man in here knows or, or can think back to a day where you made a very special purchase, uh, one that was uh, either an engagement ring or a, a, a wedding ring that was of great price to you. And uh, for all I know, you could have used a ring pop. I don't know. But, but I trust that, that you, you it took blood, sweat, tears, hopefully not blood, but it cost you a great deal. When you presented that ring and she looked at it and said yes, uh, she wasn't saying yes because of the ring. She was saying yes because it cost you something. It, it, there was a cost that went behind uh, your love. She saw your love. Uh, and while that illustration may break down because of, of, of different things, there's one thing that I'm about to illustrate to you here this morning that never breaks, and that's God's love. God's love never breaks. We see at the end of this conversation here with Nicodemus, Jesus declares God's plan to save sinners. Uh, Nicodemus, uh, this, this plan that, that Nicodemus was hearing would come at great cost to God. It would cost him everything he had, his very son. And yet, the very thing that, that it, would, it would cost him, Jesus Christ, is his only begotten son, it was going to be the way that he would show a wicked, a sinful, and a dying world that he had, uh, his, that he had great love for them. The greatness of God's love the greatness of God's love is shown by what it cost him. The greatness of God's love is shown by what it cost him. So we're going to see here, just from this simple verse, I'm going to hone in on verse 16 here this morning, the greatness of God's love. Let's pray. Father, I, I do pray, Lord, for all of us this morning, Lord, as we hear the gospel message, as we hear the gospel story told once again, Lord, we would not tune it out, Lord, for Christians here this morning, they know it well. Uh, but Lord, would you burden our hearts to share it? Lord, would you show us once again what you did for us uh, and, and what we did not deserve, even as we heard from the testimony this morning? We're, we're, we're living on borrowed time. Lord, would you, would you work in our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's look at verse 16 again. It says, For God so loved the world. And we see here firstly the object of God's love. The object of God's love, it was the world. It was every single one of us. Every single person, doesn't matter how sinful they were, doesn't matter how evil they were, doesn't matter how far we had gotten away from God, the world was the object of his love. Do you know that there was nothing in this world that would attract or deserve God's love? There was absolutely nothing, I don't know about you, when you were attracted uh, to your spouse, when you came together and, and you were starting to either court or date, 
or you were getting to know one another, there were different things that attracted you to one another. There was possibly good looks. Okay, hopefully there was. Hopefully you, you were attracted to their good looks. There was corny jokes. There were horrible puns. Okay, there was all that kind of stuff that attracted you to one another. For God, there was none of that. There was absolutely nothing that would attract him or that would cause him to think that we were deserving of his love. There was absolutely none, nothing. No reason whatsoever should he be attracted to having a personal relationship with his fallen, sinful, selfish creation. In fact, there was much in this world that would have repelled his love altogether. Stuff that would have uh, told God, stay away from here, we're, we're, we're not deserving of your love. God chose to love this world in its disobedience. That tells you something about the greatness of God's love. We were sinners. You saw on the screen there, Christ, in our sin, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. The sin of man was, as it was in the garden, it is today. It was deliberate and willful. And in Jesus' time, as he hung on that cross, he was dying for deliberate and willful, willful sinners against him. There was nothing that should have attracted him to us. How great must the state of God's love be if he can still love us in spite of all of our sin? 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Psalm 8, uh, somewhere in that passage, it says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? What are we to God? And yet God said, No, I'm going to save you. I'm going to provide a way. And as he's proclaiming this to Nicodemus, we don't get to see, as I, as I mentioned last week, we don't get to see into Nicodemus's heart. God doesn't give us that opportunity. But I wonder what Nicodemus would have been thinking. Why would... God do this for me. I'm a I'm a Pharisee. I'm a, I'm a learned man. I'm I'm a sinner, and and I, we don't get to see what decision he made when he walked out the door that night. But the decision is yours to make here this morning. Some of you have already made that decision. Some of you have made the decision to accept God's love, as we just sang about love. All I love free, freely accepting, and uh, God God wants us to. Uh, if you haven't accepted God's love this morning, God wants you to. This world, what we deserved was not God's love. It was God's punishment. Uh, the punishment for your sin is to forever be separated from God in a place called hell. That's what you deserved. That's what you deserved. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And that's not talking about... That's not talking about uh, the, the fact that we're all going to die. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. And this is talking about the second death. This is what we earn. Uh, Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all these people that you would expect to be in hell, and then it says, And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. How many of you have ever told a lie before? 
Okay, all right. All the kids can raise your hands because all of us have lied before. And that's not a, that's not a, that's, uh, it's not a good thing. That means that all of us are deserving of God's judgment in hell. All of us don't deserve to be in heaven with him someday. All of us deserve to, to, to be in, a, in the lake of fire, separated from him for all of eternity. But God's love didn't want this to happen. The greatness of God's love did not want this to happen. Romans 6.23 says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's look at the gift of his love. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He gave. God didn't come to take. God didn't come to consume. People so often think that God's coming to mess up their life or God's existence means that he's just there to take things from them, that he's there to, to uh, his plan is to ruin their life because of things that he's taken from them. Uh, they see God's plan uh, thinking that, that it is to condemn the world, but we see in the verse following that that's not God's plan at all. Look at verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. What, what is his plan? But that the world through him might be saved. And that's still God's mission today, to give. Uh, we as Christians can learn from this example of God's giving. Uh, Jesus did not come to this earth with a consumer mentality. He didn't come thinking, what can I gain? What can I come to take? He came with one passion. I am here to give life and life more abundantly. I wonder, I think even as the video there, he had a mission statement. I wonder what is your mission statement for your life here today? You might be saved this morning. You might know that Jesus Christ has cleansed you from all of your sin. But what has your mentality been this last week? Has it been, what can I gain? What can I take? What can I get out of life? Or has it been, what can I give? How can I minister? And I'm not just saying on Sunday, okay? Uh, you know, you come to church, you come to lead songs, or you come to teach, or you come to encourage other people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what has your mentality been this entire past week? Have you been a taker, one with a consumer mentality? What would it look like if we came to each new day with, how can I give? How, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to give? Lord, I, I don't know how to give, but I want to. Would you teach me how to give? Do you think the Lord would be pleased with that? I think he would. He came that he gave, and he gave his only begotten son. To give his son meant that there was no, there was no a price too high for God the Father to restore us back to, to, to a perfect relationship with him. You know, to give his son, or, or to, to, to send his son to us as, as a baby was one thing, to give his son as a sacrifice was a totally different thing. Um, to, to birth a child into this world, as you know, is one thing. To lose a child, to sacrifice them, is a totally different thing. And that's what Jesus Christ did to us. 
many of you know families maybe that are close to you that have lost children either through miscarriage or maybe an accident and all of that is a horrific thing. It's God the Father didn't just lose his son. It says he gave willingly his son for you so that you wouldn't have to face the judgment that was about to come. We needed God to step in. Here we see the very purpose of God's love. Let's look at that. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, we'll come back to that in just a minute, but can you read the next three words with me? Should not perish. Should not perish. What is, wait, you, there's, there's a judgment for your sin. This was the entire purpose of God's love. The purpose of the greatness of God's love was that if he didn't step in, the entire human race was going to suffer the, the, the wrath of God. Judgment would be the, on the entire human race if God didn't step in. You say, why? Could not, have God, could, could not God avoid the judgment altogether? No, because God is holy. God is holy, and his holiness cannot allow sin into his presence. Your sin deserved to be punished by death, all of it. God was under no obligation to step in on your behalf, but he did as your perfect substitute. You say, but I didn't ask him to do that. I didn't I didn't want him to do that. It doesn't change the fact that he did 2,000 plus years ago. Step in on your behalf and pay for all of your sins. It doesn't matter how you feel, what, if he should have or if he shouldn't have. It doesn't matter if you feel deserving or not. God's love, the greatness of God's love, stepped in on your behalf and paid all of your sin. That's the greatness of God's love for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him. Now we see the response. What is the response whereby we receive the blessing of his love? We see it right there, that whosoever believeth in him. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Does it just mean to know that he exists? Does it just mean to know like George Washington existed, you know, as the first president of the United States? No, we, we understand. There's people that, that understand that Jesus Christ exists. They even agree that he's God but are not going to heaven. It says in the Bible that the, the, even the devils uh, understand and tremble, and, and they're not going to heaven. People, people need to understand that they need to respond to the greatness of God's love. This response is essential. Uh, Revelation 20, verse 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It's essential that you respond to God's love. If we don't respond to God's love, if we don't understand, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, then that means that there is a coming a day for that person who does not respond to the greatness of God's love, who does not accept God's love, his gift with open arms, a gift that I don't understand why people 
don't understand the simplicity of it. It's, it's so simple in the Bible. You don't do anything for it. You don't get baptized. You don't go to church. You don't do a bunch of good things to try to work your way to heaven. That's none of it. God says that whosoever believeth. That means simple faith. In him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our response to God's love is essential. The response is reasonable. If you were drowning, it's only reasonable that you need a Savior. If you're drowning in sin without hope, it's only reasonable that you trust a Savior. Romans 10 verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. We can bank on it. That phrase there, call upon the name of the Lord, uh, brings to mind an image of someone drowning in an ocean. And uh, uh, someone in the middle of an ocean, they can't make it to shore, and uh, they, they need help. And uh, up alongside comes a, an ocean liner coming appearing on the scene there. And uh, they, they lower down a lifeboat and send it out to you. And uh, it would be very unreasonable for you to say, oh, oh, no, that's okay. Thank you so much. I'll just keep doggy paddling here while just, just knowing that you're there gives me comfort. No, you would throw yourself in the lifeboat. You would absolutely cling to that lifeboat and you would get out of, out of the situation that you're in. It, because that lifeboat is your only hope for salvation. Similarly, the Bible tells us that we are lost in sin. If we have not accepted this love already here this morning, if there's someone here that has not accepted Jesus Christ as their only hope of salvation, then my friend, without accepting the sacrifice of Jesus, you will die and spend an eternity in hell. Not because of what this preacher says, not because I'm trying to offend you this morning. It's because that's what God says. God says without him, without his sacrifice applied to your account, you will spend an eternity separated from God. God wants you to know him and he wants you to know his love. That's why if we call out to him for salvation, we simply say, Jesus, I know you died for me and I want you to be my Savior. I want you to to be my only, my only source of, of trust. He promises that he will save us. For whosoever shall call. The response is essential. The response is reasonable. But the response is so easy. The response is easy. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if thou, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. That's what God says. That's what God says about your sin. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know, to receive something means that you have to believe that it's real. To receive an offer means that you have to believe that the offer is actually real. If I were to... Uh, let's just say, for instance, I, I offered you a geographical location, okay? So let's say I offered uh, Mrs. Brunner, I am offering you uh, the geographical location of the Eiffel Tower, okay? And you would probably say, 
well, thank you, out of deep respect. But then mentally, you'd be considering the possibility that I might need some help, okay? <laughs> All right? I can't offer you that because that's not a real offer. But when Jesus makes the offer of eternal life, it's a real thing. It's not a fake offer. Jesus Christ gave his only son. We need to believe it. That is the only way to be saved, is to believe that the offer is real and then have faith. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. I don't want to misquote this here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You must by faith receive it. Anyone that you lead to Jesus Christ, anyone that, that comes to Jesus Christ, always comes the same way. They have to come by faith. They must say, it's nothing that I can muster up. It's nothing that I can do. It's nothing that I can do to save myself. It is simple dependence on the fact that Jesus Christ died in your place and that he is the one that needs to wash away your sin. You depend on that. You can bank on it. He'll save you. Why? Because he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God has shown the greatness of, of his love to you here this morning. My question to you is, what have you done with it? And if you're a Christian here this morning, what, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with the greatness of his love? Uh, going back to the illustration of the video here this morning, you're living on borrowed time. What are you doing with the greatness of God's love? Who have you shared it with this week, or have you fallen into a consumer mentality? He gave so that you can take. No, he gave so that you can give. He gave so that you can give to others the hope of eternal life. Are you doing that? Let's pray.